If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Let's pray together. Jesus, we celebrate you this evening. We thank you that you love us, that you died for our sins and rose again. And we need you in our lives. We need you afresh in our lives. And we do pray that we would know the power of the resurrection, that your life would be manifest in our lives, that we would be alive, fully alive for you, for your glory. We are thankful to be able to meet in person, to to be together tonight in the sanctuary as well, those that are joining us online. So would you give us ears to hear, and would you give us hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're alive because Jesus is alive. How many times do you feel like you're just going through the motions, that your life feels like a a treadmill where you're just doing the same things over and over again? And and this year has really numbed us. It's really caused us, uh, if we're not careful, to have a, a dead soul. And maybe more than ever, we need the life that Christ has to offer, the living hope that he would want to give to us. Hope is something that many people are looking for and oftentimes looking for in the wrong places. Hope is that confident expectation of coming good. And we have hope because Christ is risen and he's promised to return. He is our living hope. So as we look afresh at the resurrection tonight, I I hope that we're impacted with the life of Christ and allow ourselves to walk in that living hope. The resurrection of Jesus is something that can impact us every day of our lives. On a holiday as we remember his resurrection, but every day of our lives to know that Christ is risen and because of that we have hope. So let's jump into our text, Matthew chapter 28, verse one. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Christ was buried on Friday, but they could not come to the tomb until Sunday morning. The first day of the week for the Jews is Sunday morning. Because of the Sabbath day, they were required uh, to rest. They weren't able to adequately prepare the body of Christ. So they wanted to come back and find some way to get the stone away from the tomb to be able to properly bury the body of Christ. It's hard for us to anticipate and put ourselves in the shoes of the amount of emotion that they're feeling. To watch their Lord and Savior be crucified, be buried, and now come to his tomb, their hearts filled with absolute grief. In verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. When Christ died, when he was crucified, there was an earthquake. And now here, at his resurrection, there is an earthquake. God is getting the attention of Jerusalem. The earth is shaking. And the reason that it's shaking this time is because an angel descends from heaven. And as he descends from heaven, he rolls back the stone from the door. And for dramatic effect, he just sits on the top. He's like, I, I got this, right? And the power of this, this angel is, is clearly seen. And we get a description of the angel in verse 3. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. 
If this is what angels look like, imagine the glory of God. His countenance is, is like lightning and his clothing white as snow. As angels are created by God, spend time in God's presence, they have God's likeness, but they're not God. God's glory and his grandeur is far greater than the angels. So, so please hear that. The angel's not God, but he reflects the, the glory of God. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The word shook, it's tremble. And in the Greek, it has the same root word that we use to translate into earthquake. These guards had their own personal earthquake. They're literally shaking with fear as they see this angel. I think oftentimes we kind of get a Hollywood version of angels, don't we? In the Old Testament, we see one angel killed 185,000 enemies of the nation of Israel. And here, these Roman soldiers who are trained in warfare, these are tough guys, tough dudes. They're shaking in fear. They're paralyzed in fear as they come face to face with this angel. But the angel's focus is not the soldiers. It's these women in verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. They're afraid as well by the angel, overwhelmed by who the angel is and the amazing presence in this earthquake that has just taken place. There's probably also some fear in their hearts as their master, their Lord's been crucified. Their life is on the line to come to the tomb of, of Christ. And the angel says, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know your intentions. It's important for us for a moment as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ this evening to reflect upon the crucifixion of Jesus. Without the cross of Christ, there's no need for resurrection. It's said of Jesus in the scriptures that he was slain before the foundations of the earth. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. God knew that they would sin. And God knew that it was his plan to send his son. This didn't take God by surprise, Adam and Eve's sin. And the Garden of Eden ultimately led to the Garden of Gethsemane. We have the first Adam leading up to the last Adam, Jesus Christ. The first Adam blew it in the Garden of Eden. We're redeemed by Jesus through his surrender at the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays. He wants his disciples to pray with him. Come alongside me. Ever felt that way where you wanted people to come alongside of you, but they're absent? They're sleeping, if you would. And Luke's gospel tells us he's in so much agony that he sweats blood and prays to the Father. He says, let this cup, the crucifixion, your wrath, your, your punishment that is coming upon me, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He, he lays down his will and accepts going to the cross. The cross was the purpose for which Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Give his life upon the cross. Why did he have to die? Why did he have to have the crown of thorns in his head, be brutally beaten, nailed to, to the cross, 
suffering because of my sin. The reason that Jesus had to die is my sin. The sin of the past, the present, the future, when I disobey against God, the sin that's in my heart and the sin that's in my, my action. Not just my sin, but our sin. What if we took collectively our sin, everyone participating in this service this evening, online and in person, man, I'm overwhelmed by my sin, let alone our sin, and then the sin of the world for all time. And Christ took that sin upon himself to be the atoning sacrifice for us, to take the punishment for us. And there's the physical suffering on the cross, but there's also the spiritual reality where he took the wrath of the Father. The, the Father poured out judgment upon the Son. And, and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would know that we would never be forsaken. Jesus had to take the cup of suffering in order for us to be able to enjoy the cup of salvation. We need the crucifixion of Christ every day of our lives. We need the gospel to be alive in our lives every single day. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've trusted him as your Savior, there was that moment in time where you realized Jesus died for your sins and rose again, but we have never stopped needing his sacrifice. We will never stop needing the sacrifice of Christ through, through all of eternity. For all of eternity, we are going to sing the praises of worthy is the Lamb. Jesus, thank you so much that you died for my sins. Maybe you're contemplating Christ and, and you're contemplating what is this all about? It's about Jesus' love for you. It's that he did die for your sins. Then he rose again, conquering sin and death and extending forgiveness to us. In verse six, he's not here for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay him. As he said, Jesus rose from the dead just as he claimed. There's many times just in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, 19, and 20, where Jesus predicted the way that he would die, but also that he would rise again upon the third day. This is huge because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then he is an absolute madman. He's an absolute liar, a lunatic. But since he rose from the dead, he's Lord. If he fulfilled his promise, rising from the dead, we can trust that he is gonna fulfill all of his promises, amen? We can trust the word of God. We can trust the promises of Jesus. When Jesus ascended to go back to be with his father, he promised that he was gonna return in a similar manner to the same place, to the Mount of Olives. I've got to think that the Mount of Olives is the most valuable piece of real estate in the universe, right? That's where the Son of God is going to return, just as he said, and promising the word of God. We start to flounder, we start to wander, we start to, to drift when we begin to doubt the word of God and doubt the, the promises of God. There's the emphasis here by the angel that sent by the Father, this is just as he said. He said he would do this and he's fulfilled it. Now you come and see. Come and explore the, the empty tomb. I'm sure both of these Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, that they're carefully looking in 
to the tomb where Christ was, was buried. Wouldn't you, if it was a family member and you come to their grave and it's like, who messed with their grave? What do you mean you're telling me they're, they're not here? Where in the world did they go? And so they come in and, and they examine. In verse seven, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. <clears throat> this instruction, Mary, Mary, you need to go and tell the disciples. The disciples are in fear. Peter's in a place of condemnation from his own failure. You need to go and tell them that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee. That was the agreement. Christ says, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again and meet me in Galilee. So they were to go and share this good news. This good news is too good to keep to yourself. You ever find a restaurant that you really enjoy? Or Josh and John's ice cream, come on. It's just too good to keep to yourself, to not share. Oh man, that, that's some delicious ice cream. And when we're impacted with the death and resurrection of Christ, when we're meditating on the fact that he's the answer to my sin, he's the lover of my soul, I'm alive because he's, he's alive, that we can't help but go and tell. As I read the Gospels, every time that someone encounters the resurrected Savior, they're always given the instruction to go and tell. So as we encounter our risen Savior, let's go and tell. Let, let's share. Let's share Jesus. Let's share his death. Let's, let's share his resurrection. Let's proclaim that good news, the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. That phrase, fear and great joy, is what really hit me as I was reading through the text in the Gospels of the Resurrection. The response to this news that Jesus is alive is one of fear, which is amazement. They're just completely amazed. They're blown away. Christ is risen. He's, he's not here. And then great joy because Christ is risen. Came to the tomb with tremendous sorrow, but now they're exhorted and they're encouraged, and what comes into their souls is amazement and joy. And as we encounter Jesus, our risen Savior, that should be our response. Absolute amazement, absolute wonder, absolute fear, but also tremendous joy. I know you know this. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is, I got a raise, right? blessing in some way. Two Oregon college basketball teams doing good in March Madness. Happiness. I'm from Oregon. That's, that's why I was excited. It's based on our circumstances. But joy is based on who God is and our relationship with him. Joy is a choice where we can choose to have joy. Have you found yourself in a place that's melancholy? As Brad was leading us in worship, that darkness maybe that has come into our life. Maybe Easter just feels like a box to check. Well, I guess I better tune into a service. I better come to church. Here we've got to go through this routine once again. 
not really anticipating for Christ to meet us, but because Christ is risen, and if you know Christ or you choose to trust, trust Christ, then you have reason for great joy because you're loved, you're accepted, you're forgiven. You have everlasting life. And sometimes we need to preach over our own souls. <laughs> the psalmist is oftentimes speaking to his own soul. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Mind, emotion, and will, it's time to bless the Lord. And I've got to speak to my soul. Say, soul, it's time to take joy in the Lord. Soul, it's time to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Christ is risen. And because he's risen, you're alive. Great fear and great joy. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met him, saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. We oftentimes focus on John's account where Mary Magdalene was the first to encounter the, the risen Savior, and that's absolutely true. But also, there is this encounter for the other Mary as well, Mary Magdalene and the, the other Mary. As they're being obedient to what the angel told them to do, Jesus reveals himself. And that's oftentimes the way God works. As we're being obedient to what God's asked us to do, whether we understand it or agree with it, then God reveals himself to us in a greater way. A lot of times we want God to reveal to us without being obedient. We're saying, well, if God reveals himself, then I'll be obedient. And God's saying, no, trust me, be obedient. And then Jesus comes, and what's the message that Jesus gives? He says, rejoice, take joy. I, I'm risen from the grave. I conquered sin and death. I'm here, I'm, I'm right here. And they worship they hold on to his feet and they worship him in amazement. Jesus, you rose from the dead. You are my, my savior. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Sometimes I wish the word always wasn't there. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what the circumstance is, God's faithful, he's good, he reigns above it all, and choosing to take joy in the Lord. Allowing God to restore to us the joy of our salvation. Rejoice is the message of the resurrection. It's what Christ declares. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Once again, this encouragement, you don't have to be afraid. This is me, this is Christ, I'm risen from the dead. And I want you to go and share with the disciples to meet me in Galilee. Verse 11, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. Now remember, the chief priests are the ones that orchestrated the crucifixion of Christ. They're the ones that are really behind it. They hate Jesus. They don't want anything to, to do with Christ. For the Roman soldiers to come and tell him, hey, guess what? Uh, the stone's been rolled away. There's this angel. Christ is not there. They're going, I, I can't believe this. We can't get rid of this guy. And this ultimately shows the folly of Satan and those who follow Satan. Satan thinks that he won a great victory when Jesus died on the cross. But little did he know 
that this was the ultimate victory for God. This was God's plan all along. And so we take comfort, even when the enemy's attacking, even when the enemy thinks that he's won a great victory, God's gonna circumvent that and use it for his glory. And that's exactly what God does here. In verse 12, when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. This, this must have been a difficult meeting. What do we do? Christ is risen. We don't know where his body is. And these soldiers have this testimony. So they decide to pay off the soldiers with a large sum of money. Saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. This rumor, this lie, it lived on. There's still that some that say this today. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. His disciples stole away his body. How much sense does this make? How would the soldiers know who stole the body if they were sleeping? So this is what they claim. We were asleep and the disciples stole the body. Seems a little bit fishy, doesn't it? If it smells like a fish, it's usually a fish, right? This doesn't add up. What would happen if Roman soldiers fell asleep on the job, on such an important job? They would be executed. This would not be acceptable that, oh, you just fell asleep on, on the job. But this lie continued to propagate. Now the meeting that Jesus has with his 11 disciples now the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So Matthew doesn't record when Jesus met with the 10 disciples later the, the same day. He doesn't record when he appeared to them eight days later to the 11 disciples. So this is actually the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. What Matthew focuses on is when Jesus appears to them in Galilee, the specific mountain which Jesus had appointed for, to meet with the disciples. This had to be in a really stressful time for the disciples. Christ dies, they're not anticipating the resurrection, then, then Jesus is risen, and he just comes and goes in their midst. John tells us that they were locked in a room out of fear and Jesus didn't knock on the door in his glorified body. He just comes through the walls and boom, he's there in the midst. I picture Jesus with a big grin saying, peace be to you. The disciples are so freaked out and he's like, it's, a, it's okay guys, it's me. And as quick as he's there, he's, he's gone. They make this journey up to, to Galilee and the Romans are mad, the, the Jews are mad, their leader has been crucified but is risen. They're probably fearing for their, their own lives and they come to this third meeting with Christ. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. We read this and we go, how could they doubt? Jesus said he would rise and he rose from the dead. This is the third appearing, but yet, how many times have you seen someone come back to life? And there's doubt that's still there inside of their hearts. They're like you, they're like me. And I take great comfort that worship and doubt can co coexist. 
Worship and doubt can, can go together. A lot of times we think, well, if I'm doubting, I, I can't worship. That's probably the most important time to worship. Agreed? As when we're doubting, we're wrestling, is to say, these are all the things that I don't know, but this is what I do know. I know that God loves me. I know that God gave his son for me. So they're worshiping and, and they're doubting. And Jesus gives them a, a command. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Any questions here? Hey, Jesus is like, I'm the man. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. And by the way, I just proved it. <laughs> I died and I rose again. This is the lion statement. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I, I've got all authority. That there's no greater authority than Jesus. This is a good thing for us to remember. There's no government authority that's above the, the reign of Jesus Christ. There's, there's no country that's above the reign of Jesus Christ. There's no ruler that's above the reign of Jesus Christ. There's no principle that's above the reign of Jesus Christ. There's no boss that's above the reign of Jesus Christ. He has all authority. He has all power, and he's backed it up. He's the creator of the universe. He, he humbled himself, died upon the cross, rose again, and it's from this position of authority that he gives the command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go. God's speaking to the 11 disciples, I, I want you to not stay in Jerusalem. I want you to start in Jerusalem, but then you need to go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, and this message needs to be shared. The way that I loved you, love others. Proclaim my death, proclaim my resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. But what was the tendency of the disciples in the early church is they stayed in Jerusalem where it was comfortable. And it wasn't until they were persecuted that they left Jerusalem and the gospel started to spread. Could it be that that's what God's doing amongst the church today? The big church, the body of Christ that God is allowing us to be uncomfortable. Has this year displaced you? Has this year moved you around in some areas that you wouldn't have been otherwise? Is there a little bit more persecution in our lives as believers, as Christians, than there was a couple of years ago? And is that going to put us in some different avenues and some different places? And could it be that God is getting us to go? But he wants us to not just spend all of our time with other believers. Yes, with believers for encouragement, for fellowship, but for the purpose to, to go, go and share. Maybe the gospel and the resurrection of Christ has kind of become old hat a little bit to us. Well, when was the last time we shared it with someone who didn't know Christ as their savior? This is for every believer. God is commanding us to go, commanding us to love those that don't know him. And he wants disciples to be made Disciples as followers of Christ of all nations. That solves all discussion on racial division. God loves all nations, period, amen. There's no room for racism in the life of a believer. Get on some gospel glasses. 
God created all the nations, and he wants all the nations around his throne proclaiming his glory. So there's no room in my heart to be able to say, I don't love this group of people or that group of people or this group of people, to say, we want the gospel to go to all nations. God uses the weak and the foolish and those that are available to say, I want to see the nations reached. I want to see America reached. I want to see all the nations of the world praising the name of Jesus. And then to baptize them. Here in a few weeks, we're going to have baptism here during our services. If you know Christ your Savior and you want to make that public declaration of faith, what is baptism all about? Baptism is understanding Jesus died for my sins and he rose again. I'm buried with him and risen in newness of life and I want to proclaim before God and before others that Jesus is my Savior. So if someone trusts Christ for salvation, we don't get baptized to earn or deserve salvation. We receive it by grace. But baptism is that public declaration of faith that, that I'm in Christ, that he's my Savior, that I'm not ashamed of who Jesus is. Part of what the disciples were to do and were to do is teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Jesus is our Lord, and he wants our obedience. Again, not to earn or deserve salvation, but in close relationship with him to respond to, to his goodness. For some reason, if you didn't understand and it's never been explained to you that God wants your, your obedience, please understand that. If you have trusted Christ for salvation, then Jesus is calling you to follow him. And part of what we realize is I do a really good job of messing up my life. I do a really good thing job of jacking things up. And I need Jesus to be my Lord. And I'm ready to, to follow him. I'm ready to observe the things that he's commanded me to do. I believe God's on the move. And he's calling the church back to himself. He's calling the church back to a place of obedience. He's calling us to get serious about this love relationship with him. And why would we not want to obey him? He's the best thing going. <laughs> church, he's the best thing going. Like, where else are we going to go? We going to serve ourselves? Are we going to serve what's popular today? No, we're going to go against the flow of culture and say, I'm following Jesus. I want to command him. I want to be in obedience. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> obedience to his commands. And I love the way that this ends. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The resurrection is the promise that Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. The disciples have to be overwhelmed. We're a bunch of knucklehead fishermen. How are we, <laughs> how are we gonna take the gospel out? You ever feel that way? This, this must be for somebody else. This, this can't be for me. I have my problems and my, and my sin and this is for us because Jesus is with us. And through his presence, the reality of him being with us and empowering us, then we can step out in loving a, a lost and dying world. Consider with me for just a moment as we close a man named Saul. Saul was a Jewish man who didn't accept that 
Jesus was God, that Jesus was God's son, and saw Jesus as an affront to everything that he believed, everything that he knew, and he put all of his energy into persecuting Christians to try to silence this voice about who Jesus is. He gets permission to go to Damascus, which is just north of Israel and Syria, not a far journey, to arrest Christians. As he's journeying, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, calls him by name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus gets personal with Saul. Knocks Saul off of his horse, his high horse, quite literally, and he blinds him. He becomes blind. Encourages him to go to Damascus and wait for a man named Ananias. Ananias was praying, and the resurrected Savior says, I need you to go pray for Saul of Tarshish. Saul of who? Uh, he's got authority to arrest us and throw us into prison. Ananias is obedient. And he goes and he prays for Saul, and God restores his sight to him after three days. God was giving Saul a living experience of what he's just gone through. He was blind spiritually, but now he could see. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, it's very personal. Jesus still is revealing himself to individuals just like he revealed himself to Saul. Later in Saul's life, he writes this in Philippians chapter three. It's his prayer. And he says that he wants to know Christ, wants to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be conformed to his death. Let's think about that for a moment. Saul, who's now Paul, he experienced the power of Christ's resurrection in a very personal way. He's walked with Christ for many years, but his prayer is, I want to know the power of the resurrection in a greater way. And this is my prayer for believers here tonight, is that we would see our need to interact with, encounter the power of the resurrection in a greater way. Is there something that is stagnant in our relationship with the Lord? We need to know the power of the resurrection. Is there an area of our lives where we're stuck in a pattern of sin? Oh, we need to know the power of the resurrection. Is there a way where discouragement has overwhelmed us and we just can't seem to be set free? We, we need to know the power of the resurrection. Are we struggling to believe that God can use us in these dark times? Oh, we need to know the power of the resurrection. And that's what Paul's praying for. As a mature believer, I've got to know the power of the resurrection. And this is where I find myself this evening, is I need the gospel in my life. 
as a pastor, I gotta tell you, I'm a full-blown sinner. <laughs> and I'm not hiding something in my life or you know, living in some kind of scandal, thankfully, by, by God's grace. But I can tell you, if you spent time with me this week, you'd go, man, Pastor Eric's a sinner. I'm a sinner, and I need a savior. I need Jesus to die for my sins and rise again. And there's broken parts of my life, and there's discouraging parts of my life, and I need to know the power of the resurrection. But the good news is, is Jesus is alive, and Jesus loves me, and he died for me, and he is here standing with me. But I got a hunch that you're a sinner too. And you need to know that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for your sins, the current sins that you're struggling with, that he was buried and he rose again, and you have newness of life. So be encouraged and press into the resurrection of Christ. This same man, Paul, he wrote in the book of Romans and he said, the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. As believers, the spirit of God lives in us. And to be able to rely upon the power of the spirit, to rely upon our resurrected savior. If you don't know Christ as your savior, I wanna give you an opportunity in the next few minutes to respond and to trust Jesus as your savior. This word, the gospel, what does it mean? It means good news. Because our sin separates us from God. Our sin is when we miss the mark, when we miss the bullseye, if you would. It's willful rebellion against God, but it's also good intentions that fall short. The standard for holiness is very high. It's God's holiness. So when we fall short of God's holiness, we're sinners, and God tells us that our sin separates us from God. It's just for God to bring judgment upon our sin. If he didn't bring judgment upon sin, how could he be holy? So us in our own merit before God would ultimately cause us to go to hell, to be separated from God for all of eternity. And, and Jesus talked about hell, but he also talked about heaven and that it's his desire to give us eternal life, to be in relationship with us, to allow us to be his sons and daughters. And the love that you're looking for, it's not found in relationships. It's found in this relationship with Jesus. And he loves you like no one could to the point where he went to the cross and he took our sin upon himself. The father loves you enough to send his son to die upon the cross. And God gives you a choice. He's a gentleman. He's not gonna force you to believe. Nobody can make this decision for you. Jesus said it best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only way that you can be saved is through faith, is to trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and invite him to be the Lord of your life. Get to that place of saying, I'm ready for Jesus to be in control of my life. It's not gonna be perfection, but it is gonna be change. Christ will begin to change your life inside out. 
Every one of you knows whether you've trusted Christ as your Savior. For some, you're like, yeah, I I have trusted Christ. He is my Savior. For others, you're like, I've really had a hard heart towards Christ. I've never trusted him as my Savior. For some of you, you're like, man, I've always been interested in Jesus. I've always been around the things of God. But now that I'm really stopping and think about it, I've never put my faith in Christ. I can't say that I'm on the bus. I, I can't say that I've gotten on the airplane, that I've committed myself to Christ. Well, this is that moment of decision to trust Christ as your Savior. So if you know Christ, would you be in prayer? And as you think about making this uh, decision, we're going to go to a time of prayer, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. You're not signing up for anything, but you're indicating to Christ, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. I'm acknowledging that I'm a sinner, and I'm receiving your grace and, and forgiveness. This isn't about signing up for anything. It's about trusting Christ for salvation. For those that are with us on the live stream, if you'd like to trust Christ, I'd ask that you would raise your hand as well, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, you know our hearts. And Jesus, in a way that only you can, would you speak to hearts? Would you reveal your love and reveal your plan? Holy Spirit, would you be working in in this time? If this makes sense to you and you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, would you raise your hand and leave your hand up and just raise it high and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Awesome, praise the Lord. Hands going up here in the sanctuary. Awesome, praise God. God's touching your heart, but you're wrestling with him. Just wait one more moment and lift your hand to him at home here in the sanctuary to pray with me. Jesus, I believe you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I acknowledge my sin before you and turn away from it. Receive your grace and your forgiveness. I invite you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and thank you for forgiving me. You can put your hands down. Lord, I thank you for those that have responded to the gospel and trusted you for salvation. We pray that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, and that you pour out your spirit upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. We have a ministry team here in the front where we would love to give a new believers packet to you, answer any questions that you may have, and just welcome you into the family of God. Also online, we have a team that's available. If you'd let us know in the chats and the comments that you made a decision for Christ, we'll get you that information and uh, rejoice uh, with you. Would you stand with me? Uh, This has been on my heart this week is Numbers chapter six. It's been a really difficult year. Isn't it great to be able to worship and celebrate Christ together? And this was God's prayer for the priests to pray over the nation of Israel. And as we close, I just want to 
pray it over you. This is what it says, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfilled. The Lord bless you, providing for our needs, but giving us every spiritual blessing in Christ. The Lord keep you, keeping you from sin, keeping you from the enemy, keeping you in his love. The Lord make his face shine upon you. I I love this because this is God getting all face to face with you getting face to face with me. This literally means God smiling upon you. Is that how you view God, view your father? Do you view him kind of mad at you? Like, I'm sure he's pretty disappointed in you. No, he loves you and he wants to give you the big dad smile. You know what I'm saying? And we're just gonna pray for that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would feel God's pleasure upon your soul that through the person of Jesus Christ and your faith in Christ, you would know that your Father is pleased with you and the Lord be gracious to you. That's the death and resurrection of Christ. Do you need grace tonight? Do you need grace afresh from God? Will God be, be gracious to you? The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, giving his attention to you and giving you peace. So let's, let's pray this in together. Lord, in Jesus' name, through the confidence of his death and his resurrection, We come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would bless us as a church family. God, would you bless my brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you provide for physical and financial needs, but even more so, would you bless them with every spiritual blessing? Or would you keep them in areas of their lives where they don't have the power, where they're weak? Lord, would you keep them? Would you keep them by your power? Would you keep them by your love? Would you keep them by your presence? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Would they feel your love, your pleasure, the daddy smile of approval? Lord, would you pour that upon their hearts and lives? Would you be gracious to them? Areas where we failed, struggles with sin, broken relationships, Jesus, in the power of your resurrection, would you pour out a fresh bucket of grace? Lord, would you lift up your countenance upon them? Would you give them your attention? Would you give them your ear? And would you give them peace? Where there's worry, where there's fear, where there's despair and depression, would you replace it with your peace? So we humbly ask this in Jesus' name, amen.